you hear a knock on the door and open it to find two friendly representatives from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormon Church. So what will you say? Will you send them away without a Christian witness? Or will you engage them in a meaningful and Christ-honoring conversation? If you desire the latter, may we suggest the book, Answering Mormon's Questions, by Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Answering Mormon's Questions is available wherever you find quality Christian books. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. In the October 2022 edition of the Leahona Magazine, and this is the magazine that is published by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for the benefit of its adult members, there was an article that was taken from a talk that was given by 17th President Russell M. Nelson. According to the article, it said that this message was delivered at a General Conference leadership meeting on March 31st, 2022. What we learned from this is that this was not the usual general conference that we hear twice a year. This was a special conference, and as it says, it was for the benefit of leaders in the LDS Church. Now, in this edition of the Leahona, there is an article on page one written by Elder Michael T. Ringwood, and he's described as being of the 70. That would be the third level in the Mormon hierarchy of government. And he's also described as an advisor to the church magazines. This was titled, The Loving Kindness of God's Everlasting Covenant. And this is what he wrote. In the October 2020 General Conference, President Russell M. Nelson gave his landmark talk, Let God Prevail. He mentioned that for more than 36 years, he had been studying the gathering of Israel, including the ministries of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the, quote, covenant God made with them and extended through their lineage, end quote. And that comes from the Leahona Magazine, November 2020, page 92. Let me first comment on what Mr. Ringwood says when he refers to President Russell M. Nelson giving a landmark talk. I'm troubled by the adjectives that are often used to describe some of the messages that Russell M. Nelson gives. Because when you go back and you read that talk called Let God Prevail, I don't really read anything in that talk that really stands out as being all that unique and new. It's a lot of repetition of things we have heard over and over again from not only people like Russell M. Nelson, but other leaders as well. So when he uses this word landmark to describe this talk called Let God Prevail, I think they're a little bit over the top in their gushing over some of the things that Russell M. Nelson says. Because I read this stuff and I go, I've heard this before. This isn't all that remarkable. It doesn't seem to be landmark by any stretch of the imagination. And I agree with you, Bill, and I think even what we're going to do this week to take a look at this talk, there really isn't a whole lot new here, but it's interesting because listen to this next paragraph. 
On March 31, 2022, Ringwood says, Nelson shared more from his studies in a meeting with the general leadership of the church. He felt inspired to share the same message with all church members in this month's issue of the Liahona. In his article, The Everlasting Covenant, President Nelson teaches more of what he has learned about the covenant relationship God offers his children. Bill, I want to take a quick look and see what that means. He felt inspired. When I saw that, I'm thinking this is something pretty special because I don't use inspiration myself uh, randomly. I use that very carefully. I believe the Bible is inspired. But here he's talking about uh, Nelson and his inspiration to share this message. It reminds me of when there was a groundbreaking back in, in the summer of 2022. Russell M. Nelson was at that groundbreaking at Ephraim, Utah. And he said that the reason he's building a temple there is because he received an impression from God. And it seems, Bill, we're hearing more and more from Russell M. Nelson those kinds of words like, well, we have here an inspiration or impression, as if he is getting direct revelation from God, as a prophet is supposed to do, according to the LDS Church, and communicate that to the people. And that's what this article is all about. It's, it's interesting you mention that, Eric, because... We thought it was kind of strange that Nelson would announce a temple in Ephraim, Utah, because Ephraim is located just a few miles away from Manti that has had a temple for several years. And we were wondering, why would you build another very expensive building, not just to build, but also maintain, just a few minutes away from another temple that is just several miles south of this location. And then you find out later on that Nelson had some familial connection with Ephraim, and that probably had something to do with the decision he was making. So a lot of these circumstances tend to make us wonder, what does this really mean in the context of Mormonism? Perhaps even more specifically, what does it really mean to Russell M. Nelson? We need to understand, Nelson does not write in every Liahona, except in the May and November issues where he's giving conference talks. That certainly is something that's given, but this is kind of special, I think. Having this kind of introduction, the last paragraph, Ringwood writes this, What a blessing it is to have prophets of God, both past and present, to help us understand how we can connect to the love of God through his everlasting covenant. Bill, when I'm reading from this introduction is, wow, this is going to be an article that comes straight from God, and it's something we need to know. Is this really, though, what he's going to talk about from the Bible? And I think we're going to find out this week, absolutely not. Well, let's look at what this article has to say. It starts on page four in the Liahona magazine, and it is titled The Everlasting Covenant. And as we mentioned earlier, this was taken from a talk that he gave to leaders in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This is what he said. In this world torn by wars and rumors of wars, the need for truth, light, and the pure love of Jesus Christ is greater than ever. The gospel of Christ is glorious, and we are blessed to study it and live according to its precepts. We rejoice in our opportunities to share it and to testify of its truths wherever we are. I have spoken frequently about the importance of the Abrahamic covenant and the gathering of Israel. When we embrace the gospel and are baptized, we take upon ourselves the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Baptism is the gate that leads to becoming joint heirs to all the promises given anciently by the Lord to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their posterity. 
Then he quotes from Doctrine and Covenants, section 132, verse 6, the new and everlasting covenant. And then he says, and the Abrahamic covenant are essentially the same. Two ways of phrasing the covenant God made with mortal men and women at different times. Now, this is certainly where we would take issue with what Russell M. Nelson is saying. The new and everlasting covenant, according to Doctrine and Covenants 132, was originally understood to have more to do with plural marriage than it does with, I would say, in the modern understanding among Latter-day Saints, that it's simply talking about marriage for time and eternity. And there's a number of reasons why we say that. There have certainly been statements made by past leaders, such as Brigham Young, who certainly equated plural marriage with the the doctrine of the new and everlasting covenant. But when he says the new and everlasting covenant and the Abrahamic covenant are essentially the same, now as a Christian, we could never go along with that because we have a definition for what the Abrahamic covenant is. And there are a number of websites that will give you a basic definition of that. Eric, you're going to read one of them that describes what the Abrahamic covenant means to us as Christians. This comes from Christianity.com. The Abrahamic covenant is really the beginning of the formal revelation of the covenant of grace, of God's decision to reach into humanity and specifically save people for himself. It comes in the form of a promise to Abraham. Abraham, who's the son of an idolater, who did not know God. God takes the initiative with him, calls him into a relationship with himself, and makes just unilaterally some promises to Abraham. He promises that Abraham is going to be a great nation, that he is going to be given a land, a place to live, and that through him all the nations will be blessed. Now, there's a definition for Abrahamic covenant on the official website of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's under the Gospel Topics section, and it's titled Abrahamic Covenant. And this is what it said. Abraham made covenants with God when he received the gospel. When he received the gospel, when he was ordained a high priest. Really? Abraham was a high priest? Where do we see that in the Bible? Of course, there's no mention of this whatsoever. And then it goes on to say, and when he entered into celestial marriage, Where is that in the Bible? We don't see any such concept in the Old Testament, but yet notice what the LDS Church has done. They've added all these details to a story that we have no evidence for. And this is what you get when you have what's called Latter-day Revelation. They can add whatever they want to the story, and because it comes through an alleged prophet, as they understand him to be, it's perfectly okay to accept it without any question, and I would assume they would say without consequence. In these covenants, this article goes on to say, God promised great blessings to Abraham and his family. These blessings which extend to all of Abraham's seed are called the Abrahamic covenant, and then it mentions these bullet points. It says, among the promises made to Abraham were the following. His posterity would be numerous, which you have mentioned. We would agree with that. His seed or descendants would receive the gospel and bear the priesthood. Now, certainly we don't see any mention in the Bible of that. In fact, the reference here isn't from the Bible. It's from the Pearl of Great Price, the book of Abraham, chapter 2, verse 9. 
And then it says, through the ministry of his seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed, even with the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of eternal life. But then it goes on to say this, a person can receive all the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant, even if he or she is not a literal descendant of Abraham, by obeying the laws and ordinances of the gospel. And then it tries to use Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29, and Galatians 4, 1 through 7 as a proof text, which certainly that would not work with that kind of understanding, as well as Doctrine and Covenants section 84, verses 33 through 40. So even when it comes to this term, Abrahamic covenant, though their tradition uses that term, our tradition uses that term, Christian, here's the problem. They're defining that term very differently from the way it's been understood historically within Christianity. They are making up their own definition. So if you hear them using a phrase like this or a term like this, you need to ask, what exactly do you mean by that? I'm bothered by when he says baptism is the gate that leads to becoming joint heirs. That is not the case. It's faith, faith and faith alone. And the book of Galatians that is referenced there. And Nelson's going to use the book of Galatians chapter 3 as well, I think, badly to support his point. If you want to hear more about this article, we're going to talk about it the rest of this week. But you can go to our website, mrm.org slash everlasting hyphen covenant, everlasting hyphen covenant, where we go into more detail there. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.